And we are your hosts for today's broadcast, following top news stories of the day. Good, great, grand, wonderful. I have a bad feeling about this. What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? It's the good, the bad, and the what? Lost your train of thought, didn't I? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The What, the show in which we dissect what makes a movie good, bad, or other within a certain theme, category, subgenre, or filmography. I am your host, Chris Thomas. And I'm Ryan Oliver, and I just have to say, you got it in one take this time. That's, usually, I think usually, the first we time. Redo, usually we redo <laughs> your intro. <laughs> Great work. Oh, I mean, you would figure it should be old hat by episode 32, not counting the 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 minisodes we've done so far. So, hey, nah, better late than never. It's okay. It's all fine. <laughs> um, uh, how you doing, Ryan? I'm I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. How I, it's it's now November second, so mm-hmm. like a basic uh, department store like would do, um, you know, because I've been drinking pumpkin beer throughout of it. I have a holiday beer that I found somewhere. So um, in in my Freddy Krueger koozie, mind you. So I, I'm oh, kind of okay. in I'm in between right now. <laughs> uh, out with the old. It's not exactly though. Not exactly. Uh, old habits die hard. Um, but <laughs> but we have technically put a cap on on spooky season. Evil evil died last night or last. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to get one last one in there <laughs> before we before before uh, we inevitably talk about Halloween ends around this time next year. But oh, um, <laughs> but we are this week. We're finally getting to our uh, East meets West buddy comedy buddy cop movie um pairing uh mm-hmm. we teased it for months now we were gonna do it i think in september and then we ultimately pushed it back so we did our episode to honor norm mcdonald and then of course october came around and so we were like well we're gonna focus on spooky season picks so now we're here we're finally to this episode so i will just sort of like tease the picks and we can just get into it um so for the good i have chosen drive from 1997 not from 2011 not no affiliation with the nicholas winding reference <laughs> film um this one is directed by steve wong hopefully i'm pronouncing that name correctly uh the bad i have chosen rush hour from 1998 directed by brett ratner scumbag uh and <laughs> the and the what <laughs> i have chosen silent assassins from 1988 directed by Lee Du Yong and co-directed by Scott Thomas. Um, but I'll get into Drive. Uh, and this is a movie that I feel like people have been talking about. Like it's it sort of s- developed a cult following. I, I, I think there's always been champions of this movie, but I think it really sort of came to fruition a couple years ago um, when uh, John Wick Chapter 3 came out because mm. uh, there was a little bit of a, a Mark Dacascos assance uh, with Dacascos being one of the, I, I think the main antagonist in mm-hmm. John Wick 3, uh, or at least the, the most to do of the antagonists in, in that uh, third John Wick movie. So I feel like people were, were kind of going back and, and uh, looking at Dacascos' films. And I think the one that really stuck out to people 
the most was Drive. Um, and it, it got a new Blu-ray release this year, courtesy of MVD Entertainment. Um, and I will ask you what you thought of the movie, Chris, but before I do, I will just preface in case anyone's listening who's a huge t- drive head. Um, we are aware that the new Blu-ray has the director's cut of the movie, the new restored director's cut. We did not watch it. We watched the, I don't know if this had a theatrical release or not, but we watched the initial cut. It might've had a small theatrical release, um, but we watched the shorter cut of the movie that currently is available on streaming platforms, but um, I'll kick it to you, Chris. This was the first time watch for you. What did you think of Drive? Uh, it was. I, I was initially disappointed uh, by the the lack of Ryan Gosling, uh, but then after I was able to to get over that, uh, <laughs> it's fun. I, it's um, it's very uh, it's very fast paced, um, very energetic. Uh, I, I was pretty much entertained throughout. Um, and in terms of like uh, the kung fu and uh, a lot of the choreography, um, it's a little out there. It's a little strange, but I think that sort of adds to the charm uh, of it. Uh, uh, especially, I don't want to get into a lot of the particulars, like you saying that it, it's sort of getting resurgence now and, and sort of finding its audience. And so, I don't necessarily want to come out and say, you know, this scene where this particular thing happened was really neat, since that could, you know, discourage somebody from going out and seeking it. Uh, which I would highly encourage anybody uh, uh, to do. It's a, it's a very, very fun uh, time. No, I'm in complete agreement. I, I think the movie is really a lot of fun. And, and I think that that sort of energy is, I think what makes it stand out from a lot of movies from its ilk, um, which I think we're going to get into here with our three picks, because I mean, mm-hmm. all of these fit firmly in the sort of like buddy movie dynamic. They just happen to have this specific flavor to them where it's like uh, you have one protagonist from the east you have uh, coming over from Asia and you have one in the west um, and I think all of these are set in Los Angeles or like greater California if I'm not mistaken yeah. um, and so it's like of course you know one of my all-time favorite movies is Beverly Hills Cop um, and a Lethal Weapon is set in LA like I'm a big aficionado aficionado for this kind of genre so right. um, but it's one that has a pretty like typical baked in template and so by taking what you know and interjecting and especially for like a small budget movie like this is not a big movie but I feel like through choreography through um the surprisingly good charisma between our lead actors uh who mm-hmm. we have Mark Tacascos who plays Toby Wong uh in this movie he's a special agent from Hong Kong he's got a he essentially has a device in his chest that gives him like superhuman like Terminator-esque abilities basically mm-hmm. like that's it's like uh, like nobody can stop him and so uh he's essentially he's come to san francisco and he's looking to sell the device somewhere in los angeles for five million dollars uh because he does not want the chinese government to have it after the after hong kong's ruling uh under the british government reverts back to the chinese government so he's looking to do that he takes hostage uh, Malik, who's played by Kadeem Hardison, he essentially forces him to drive Toby from San Francisco to Los Angeles. And from there, like they have, um, you know, it's like they have banter. They also have specific banter of like what it means to be from like separate cultures. Um, and, and But it's done so I feel like in like a playful way and a lot of it lands. Um, and of course, soon we're going to get a two example of like that sort of dynamic, but done in a way that doesn't land and is like quite poor. Right. Um, so, uh, but like, I think that's like really charming and the movie's super scrappy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's it's sort of like, 
I don't want to say comic booky, but like it's kind of silly. And I think like the movie owns its silliness. Like there's a lot of funny, like foley effects for like the, sure. the like the actual like martial arts sequences that yep. are like be like a whoop or a something like goofy like that. Um, innovative camera work. Uh, our villain is like a comical mulleted. He looks like Kid Rock. I was like, when he steps <laughs> off the boat yeah. first, I thought it was Kid Rock. It's not, <laughs> but I, I genuinely was like confused. Um, and and it's just like it, the movie's just it's a joy. And I would say, I would be curious. Again, we didn't watch this director's cut. I would be curious what it adds because if I have any sort of knock on the movie for me personally is like it's almost too much of a good thing like it almost it's like it almost goes on like 10 minutes longer than it should mm. and so I'm like I don't know if I want a longer version of it sure I I think I think there's a lot that you're touching on there that I, it was was great about the movie I think uh in addition to the foley uh a lot of the set pieces and a lot of the fight scenes that they have they they go with um cartoon logic in, in that like physics don't apply so like yeah. small punches will send people flying like long and it, it's probably because he's like part cyborg with his heart transplant thing that he has going on but there's a, an additional fight uh i don't know if i need to be giving it away as to why but i will say that he puts shoes on his hands and, and, <laughs> yes. and it's just like it's sort of out of left field and very comical it sort of makes sense in in the the context of the scene that's going on why he's doing it but it the the there's just these giant weird cartoonish set pieces the, the um apollo 14 bar and grill oh uh, the, the finale yes which is like it's the inside <laughs> of it is like a a knockoff of the uss enterprise with like the big like sliding doors and stuff and so that once you start to sort of understand this movie's wavelength and yes. what it's doing is so tongue-in-cheek that you're like oh okay like I'm just here to have fun and one thing I wanted to comment on is I really liked the relationship between um Toby and Malik in the movie because it's a buddy movie but it's not a buddy cop movie and right. I like that the relationship at first starts off at them on on opposite ends, but then they have such great chemistry together that they come together over the course of the movie to where by the end of it they're you know compadres, you know they're they're fighting together and protecting each other, even though one of them is a superhuman, um, you know, martial arts master cyborg, and the other guy is I don't even know what he was just a guy in a bar. I don't even know if they say what his profession is. He's like he's a musician, he's like, like he's a musician. struggling musician. Yes, yeah. so like he was a musician. He's like. He even says something to the effect of like he's like i just want to be left alone i'm just here to eat my breakfast and mm -hmm. like the the fight like it opens the movie opens it's like a, a big set piece on like a like a cruise ship essentially mm -hmm. like literally fresh off the boat and then he comes to the bar more fighting breaks out and then he takes kadeem hostage and that's right. that's when they have they they have their sort of misadventure and um yeah no i i like that i like that that and that's a typical you know dynamic like you said even though Toby Wong is a special agent uh, in the movie. Like it's not really, it's sort of besides the point. Like he could have, the, the way it's set up is like he could have just been an experiment and not that. And like right. it would have been all the same. Like it wouldn't have mattered a whole lot. Um, and I did, I love the set design of the, the, um, 
the area 14 of the the uh the ship but i i'll be reminisced if it if it it wouldn't be an episode without a i think you should leave reference i could not think of the the, the tim heidecker episode i thought like they were going to get in a shouting match with the, <laughs> the people working behind the, the bar but um <laughs> I, yeah I, anyway. It would have been a better movie for it if Tim Heidecker would have showed up. I mean, it's already a great movie. So I'm well, not a great movie. Sorry, I don't want to oversell it. Like it's a it's a really fun movie. It's like, a very fun, entertaining movie. Like yes, and, and I just pulled up here in a second tab just as a, like a, a thing to glance at as a reminder of what happens in the movie, and it literally does. Like it, it's it's the way that the set pieces, the action set pieces are paced, are paced. This movie is cooking. It, yes. lo- it literally like starts with a shootout on a ship, then goes to the bar, then goes to a car chase, then goes to the construction site, then goes to, and it's like set piece, set piece, set piece. Like there's enough time breathing room in between to give um, a, a time for our main characters to, to meet and get to know each other and us to get to know more about them. And then it very quickly thrusts them into the next fist fight or shootout or whatever it happens to be. So like the entire way through, even if you don't like give much of a shit about like the story that's going on behind these characters, which I mean, you should, there's enough there um, to, to really inform them and, and make them feel like real people. But you know that within five minutes, someone's going to be getting punched in the face and then we're right yes. back in it. Exactly. Exactly. It, it it moves so quick. So, so much so that, that I guess maybe there's another sort of thing I would love, would love to see more of the movie, mainly because the one scene that does it is so damn good at it that I was like, oh man, it'd be kind of cool if they did more of this is when their car breaks down at the, like at the hotel slash garage and mm. they meet the hotel manager uh, whose character's name is Deliverance Bodine, which I, for, I love that for one, because it sounds like a Thomas Pynchon character, like, and, and, yeah. and like buddy cop movies are like rooted at least in somewhat in noir tropes. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, I would have loved to have more sides, but Deliverance Bodine, who's played by Brittany Murphy, RIP, um, yeah. Miss Brittany Murphy. And she is f- awesome in this movie. Yeah. She is the, she is the, the most horned up like hotel. <laughs> manager that i think i've ever seen uh she just is completely at the hots for for malik kadeem harrison hardison's character and And she's like so bubbly crazy like she's played this character uh before i mean she reminded me of her character in spun honestly uh, of like very exuberant very excited and stuff but like um she plays it very well here. I would say it's almost understated where like, yeah. because it's framed around her sort of having this uh, love at first sight uh, that she does for Kadeem's character uh, in the movie, it sort of feels more grounded, even though she's so like energetic and, and just big and, and, and colorful uh, mm-hmm. throughout her entire performance. But like, again, RIP Brittany Murphy, it's great to see her in, in yeah. anything you're in uh, nowadays. Um but she just makes sense in the world with how big and exciting and uh, how many, like just the energy of the movie, she slides right into that pocket. And it just absolutely. Makes- yeah. Cause the movie is super energetic and she's matching it, but she also like brings that like human level of like, you know, it's like, I'm not, I'm not joking about the, the horniness of her character. It's very much there, but again, it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's number one, it's matched up with the intensity and the style of the movie. And number two, it's a pretty like, I mean, it's a, it's still a humane character in the bigness of it. Cause I mean, the setup is like this hotel is in like 
podunk middle of nowhere california somewhere on the road for between san francisco and los angeles so it's just like she doesn't see a lot of anything um and so the fact that it's like oh my god people have stopped here like i'm just yeah. so excited to see people and you know and, and so it's like it's it's an understandable human feeling but that aside is so good which then leads into you know one of the best action scenes in the movie the you know the aforementioned boots we won't give away the context but mm-hmm. the boot scene happens in this hotel um there's also you know continuation of it in the mechanics garage as well yeah. um all of that is great but it's like i would have loved like this is a this is a movie whose formula is so good that i would not have minded more like i would not have minded if there was like another stop or another aside with another like interesting out there character only to have it devolve into people getting punched in the face and kicked left and right and thrown <laughs> over cars and like i would love to see more of that who knows maybe that extended cut does have that in which case yeah. i would take a longer version of that but if it's just sort of like the action scenes longer they are fun they are energetic but like even even i have a threshold for this type of stuff and it's like it's a little <laughs> exhausting by the end but it's like it's still it's all good things really yeah I, and i think um i would have to agree with you i don't know if i if i would need any more of it i i think it's it's very well like packaged in this cut I'd be curious to see a director's cut, but I don't think I needed any more of it. I felt like very much like it's buttoned up that we got enough of everything in there. Um, But I'm also glad that even though the story goes in a direction that you sort of, uh, uh, you know, on paper uh, would probably say like, okay, like I probably could have guessed that it's going to go here. And again, I don't want to give away uh, but like there's um, like a, a portion towards, you know, the end of the movie where they make a logical leap of of an introduction that's a, a natural conclusion that you could probably draw from the fact that uh, the guy that we're searching for is an on the run hyperdrive cyborg. There's a natural conclusion that if you've seen enough movies that that you can probably draw just from that premise that they would end up at. And the fact yes. that they bring it in isn't in this movie isn't a like, uh oh of course how tired and and tropish when i saw it come in i was like fucking cool all right yeah why not me too yeah exactly (laughs) because because like what else could you do at that point right Right. i mean again you you've established that this person is unstoppable like an unstoppable like machine essentially like so of course you know again we're tiptoeing around the bush here and we're going to continue to do so but it's like if you've seen a movie like this I already mentioned Terminator, like, you you know, right? Like, it's right. like, you, yeah. you have to introduce that element in the movie. And it's fun, and it's fun. And I, I feel like yeah. they also, you know, whether it's, I, sorry, I'm not going to get into it too hard. I'm going to say, however they block <laughs> it, however they block it, however they stage it, they also do a really great job of making it very seamless. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, and I liked, um, there's cutaways to, like, the big bad guy who, uh, I, I I, I think they're in Hong Kong. They're like communicating from like a um, like a control room of sorts. There, yeah. there's all sorts of people that are in there with like their giant uh, or like mid '90s computers clacking away on their keyboards. Exactly. And the guy, I don't know if you noticed, the guy who's like the big bad running it is James uh, Shigeta, or Sh- uh, I, I'm hoping I'm not butchering that. But um, he, of course, uh, is in. Uh, he plays uh, 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 Takagi uh, from uh, Die Hard. Yes. Um, yep. Which was like, it was that, it was that once, once upon a time, time in Mexico. Holland. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, oh, oh yeah, I know him. Um, yeah. It was, it was like a whole, a regular who's who of like recognizing some of these characters in there. But like I said, like 
the when the movie draws the logical conclusions because it's going so hardline with these tropes the way the movie structured itself i think it plays to its benefit that it doesn't take huge portions of the movie to step away and you know have a uh, to to give like a contemporary example i guess not contemporary example but uh, uh lethal weapon we're not we're not cutting to um, uh, we're not cutting to Malik's trailer where he's crying over a picture of his wife and contemplating suicide. Right. We're not like, we're not doing these huge emotional drags and drops to either side. They're playing it straight and they're just going from like, we're here to fight and shoot shit and have shit blow up. And as an audience member, I'm like, cool. Yeah. Let's blow some shit up. Let's do it. That's <laughs> the thing. And it and it's refreshing, right? Because it's yeah. like because it's a genre, again, you know the trappings of this genre, and there are plenty of examples of like, okay, you know the tropes. And so it's like it's really frustrating to watch it executed in a bad sense. And so, like, and it's not that they execute it bad here, but they're just like, we're just gonna cut the fat of that. We're right. just gonna like kind of streamline it. And I, I think the movie is better for it. Um, and of course, like I I like. You know, it's like I like the B B action stars, the ones who are like legit, but they never really had like the the like Hollywood starring video vehicle. So right. it's like I like Dacascos in this role. I like that he's you know he's gets, gets a showcase. He's fantastic. I mean, he's been in some Hollywood movies. He's usually uh, usually is the villain. I mean, we mentioned John Wick mm-hmm. Chapter Three. He's also the villain in Cradle to the Grave with Jet Li and DMX. <laughs> Um, oh yeah jet Lee and dacascos have a final fight in a, like an air uh, airport uh runway that's like engulfed in flames so they like fight in a ring of fire and it's like okay oh, yeah. any any flaws this movie had hit our Out moved. the window <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter anymore <laughs> so um but i mean yeah this movie's it's fun it knows exactly what it is it knows how to execute it to the best of its ability and it's just i mean it's in the title drive it's a ride like it literally yeah. is and it doesn't aim to be anything more than that and it executes it you know much better i think than you would expect uh, a movie of this caliber hell yeah uh well if we want to pivot over to a movie that did not execute well uh speaking of caliber and the amount of uh, tools that it had at its disposal uh we can get into something that I'm sure might be contentious for some portion of our audience, but I assure you that you're likely looking at this movie through some rose-colored glasses. Um, And I'm, of course, talking about Rush Hour. And I know that personally, I think it was last year or the year before, um, we were packing some shit up in our our, um, apartment over here in Boston. And uh, uh, my wife was like, hey, you want to, just throw a movie on while we're doing it why not we grabbed rush hour because we were like hey i haven't seen this in years and i remembered watching this all the time on tbs and just throw it on and just being miserable the entire time that the movie was on and having just finished it uh you know 30 minutes ago before we jumped on to to um record this episode it didn't get better (laughs) over the last like two years or so no, I mean, and you say whiff, and it's like not only is it a whiff, but it's one that was a huge hit, mind you, a huge hit, spawned yeah. two sequels. And um, yeah, no, I mean, you, you know, you and I are of the same generation, we're a year apart, right? So it's like for, for me, uh, rush hour is like it's so frustrating, and it's it's so frustrating, and it's so like you said, it, it's miserable to watch now, 
which we'll get mm. into. And I have no, I have no love loss, no rose colored glasses for this movie. I have no problem saying that it sucks for many, many reasons that we're going to get into. Of course, this being of a certain generation, this was my introduction to Jackie Chan. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I can't totally like write that off completely um, in my sort of like film history, but I could pretty much write everything else off about this movie. Um, God, where to even begin? Um, I mean, I guess we should probably just address the elf in the room up front of the director of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I already uttered scumbag under my breath. That was not meant to be like <laughs> a joke, like Brett Ratner sucks as a human being. Yeah. Um, Brett, shit was coming out about Brett Ratner even before the, the Me Too movement was happening. Like it was very, by most accounts, all accounts, I would say that the dude is a huge piece of shit. Um, yeah. You know, and regardless of so. And openly so, like, God, like, whatever you think about his movies is beside the fact that the dude just seems to be just a massive, massive jerk on multiple fronts. Like, in addition to the sexual harassment and sexual assault, like, just seems to be an all-around asshole. Um, I was trying to remember, we were talking about this off mic, and I think the documentary, I was getting it confused, but I think I was, I think it was the, the Palm wonderful presents the greatest movie ever sold documentary that uh morgan spurlock did morgan spurlock has his own like shady shit past um never never meet your heroes or like like anybody uh because it's just gonna (laughs) because it's just gonna because everyone just sucks um but i remember they're interviewing like because it's because the movie is all about like product placement in movies and i remember like brett ratner being interviewed and i think his line was like artistic he was like artistic integrity whatever or something like mm-hmm. that i was just like well oh you that fucking explains i don't know all your fucking movies <laughs> right. in addition to you just being a huge asshole um but it suffices to say like yes acknowledge that brett ratner is a a massive piece of shit but separate from his piece of shittiness as to not take away from everything he's done or said or anything like that like you know believe anything that had been said we're focusing on him as a director not great there either like i mean rush hour to me i think the 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 thing about rush hour is like we've talked about it a little bit with drive just like buddy cop template this is like the archetype right i mean it's like literally the archetype of two mismatch cops it's 48 hours it is 48 hours and or beverly hills cop um, yeah. you know, to a certain extent, um, but 48 hours specifically because they're paired together. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that's a, interesting you mentioned 48 hours. It's probably a good place to start because you could tell very early on in this movie that the person he wanted to play, James Carter, Chris Tucker's role in this movie, was Eddie Murphy. Uh, Eddie Murphy declined on the role. And because Chris Tucker hit or miss for me but i have liked him in movies before i like him mm-hmm. in jackie brown i like him in the fifth element i really like him in silver linings playbook mm-hmm. um friday even where friday, he's the same character yeah friday is friday's perfect like basically the same character but he's perfect as Smokey. but mm-hmm. as as this like you could tell his only direction in this movie was do axel foley like that yep. is the only direction he was given in this movie and it comes across and it's just like, not everyone is Eddie Murphy. Like, I, I'm sorry. Like, and, and it's like, I feel bad for Chris Tucker too. Cause it's right. like, I don't necessarily think he wanted to, I mean, anyone wanted to be 
probably as successful as Eddie Murphy, but like, it's just like, I feel bad. He's just kind of hung out to dry in that respect. Um, So I feel like that's the only screen direction he gets in this movie is that just do Axel Foley. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it's really, really like painful. Yeah. A a lot of his retorts that he's doing, uh, like his snappy things come across as Axel Foley. The, the, uh, who do you think you have? Chelsea Clinton? Uh, Like those sort of lines are like, you can see those coming out of Eddie Murphy, but Chris Tucker's delivery, although sharp, it it doesn't match that same cadence. It doesn't have the same tone to it. And so, uh, like you said, Chris Tucker will work in other roles. Um, uh, as Smokey, he's perfect um, uh, for what that role is, but he's not living up to you know what the the script is asking of him here. Which is a shame that they didn't just step back and sort of rewrite it and being like, we don't have Eddie Murphy, so maybe we need to give him a chance to have a unique voice in here. Exactly, and so it just it just feels like it feels disingenuous and i'm going to say on the fil- on the production aspect not like on his because it's like right. he, you, you're opening him up to have unfair comparisons at that point like right. like you said like the who do you have chelsea clinton line it's like it reminds me exactly of the line in 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 beverly hills cop when he goes to the hotel and he's like i'm here to interview michael jackson and the hotel is going to let me in here and all like it reminds mm-hmm. me of that exact exchange in the movie and so it's like like you're you're already you're already placing yourself uphill right and then on top of that um because you also mentioned 48 hours which 48 hours is also a treaty on like race relation as well because you have nick nolte who's like the hardened like gruff but like very racist cop uh, he's nick nolte he's nick so <laughs> Might have to bleep that out. I don't know. I don't know Nick Nolte's. I don't, I don't mean to besmirch Nick Nolte. It's satire. Okay, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> no, it's okay. But uh, and then you know with Eddie Murphy's con man character in the movie, and so it's mm-hmm. like there's a whole like breaking down. It's like there's that bar scene in the movie, which like you know he has an interaction with the bartender and like that whole sort of like that's the crux of that movie. And so I feel like there's a <laughs> the bones of this movie is like attempting to do that i feel like yes. um you know within this context of the east meets west deal i feel like i don't have to explain the plot of rush hour to people if you're listening to this i guarantee you've seen it maybe or or like chris said tbs like this movie was mm. on tv all the freaking time when we yeah. were growing up like i it guarantee yeah still I gu- it still is it's on all the time i mean shit i didn't even have to rent it it was on hbo max i was like yep yep, yep. it's right there rush hour there it is yep. Um, so it's like I don't have to explain the plot of the movie, but I feel like when we're first introduced, when both uh, Inspector Lee, who's Jackie Chan's character, and James Carter are introduced to one another, it's like the one one successful instance of sort of like breaking down these misconceptions of like race and your own biases, um, because it's like if people remember the scene, it's like uh, Inspector Lee gets on like a tourist bust. He seems like aloof. Like he seems like he's not sure what's happening. And uh, James Carter is getting upset and like trying to like corral him and and get him into the spot. And they get stopped by, they get stopped by fellow police um, because they're detectives. And then Inspector Lee, you know, both with their hands in the air, speaks completely clear English and says like, oh, I'm sorry, officer, like my partner here, we're just having a something. I forgot yeah. the exact line. I, I was showing him how to uh, disarm a sub- suspect or take yes, a gun. Yes, that's the line. Suspect. 
to which it's followed by like a god is it is it a gong is it an actual gong sound effect yeah. that happens okay this, so yeah. it's like might have almost, to insert it in the edit here for those it, who it don't almost us, renders it like, moot uh, i'm policeman i'm just showing him how to take a gun from a suspect immediately it's like a gong sound effect and then um you know, James Carter's like, why didn't you tell me that you speak English? And uh, he's like, I, well, number one, I only speak a little bit. Number two, um, he's like, I don't feel like I need to speak unless like it's pertinent. Uh, and you right. don't seem like the person who does that. Um, and so it's like, we're already inter- like we're introduced to their conflict and their ideo- ideological conflict. And we've sort of broken down the misconceptions of race there. So it's like the one, one, successful instance the movie does this completely undermined <laughs> almost immediately in the next scene <laughs> and he chides him too he's like I, I never said that i couldn't speak english you assumed that yes. i couldn't speak english. yes yeah and you know i i wasn't going to correct you i meet people that talk a lot and i let them talk because i can learn a lot from just listening and it like it shows that he's a good detective. It it shows that you know Chris Tucker was you know being you know prejudiced in, in this. You know, and so like it, it's it's almost ridiculous that they start they led with that to sort of set up like you thought we were gonna go this this way with like making everything in the movie about these guys being some level of racist towards each other. But uh, shame on you. We're, it's a misdirection. We're gonna go one direction, and then the fact that they had that set up for them to use it as a misdirection and go another way with it and then they just immediately take a shit on the premise it's immediately like almost insulting yeah it's so insulting because it's 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 like right there like screenwriting 101 it's like you had a very smart setup to undermine a again a genre that you know you know the tropes you know it and so the fact that it's like, I'm, you know, we're not going to repeat, but again, people probably know the scene where uh, Chris Tucker, uh, James Carter, they go to get information from an informant that he has at a bar and he, he says a word to the people at the bar um, and Inspector Lee, it clearly shows he doesn't know what that means, clearly a word mm-hmm. that he should not be saying. And it's like, but you just, and it's like, you undermined it. You undermined it completely by like, okay, you broke down the idea that he doesn't understand what's going on. And you had the misdirection only to fall, like you said, fall right back in to the, oh, isn't it funny because he came from China. And so he doesn't know the customs here in the United States. Ha ha ha. And then that like proceeds through the rest of the movie. And it's like, you just, you just, shot yourself in the foot like not but five seconds after you had a terrific setup like credit where credits do a really good setup to branch off into something interesting and you didn't and you proceeded to do it for two more movies i'll I'll say (laughs) i'll say one more movie because i never saw the third third but uh, at least the second one i know for a fact does that as well and i'm just like why why and i don't want to necessarily say like like we're not in a post-racial world, so it's no. okay to bring up race, even as a joke, in some instances, if it's handled well, but also handled sort of in the way that we were just talking about, where sort of chiding the audience and being like, the comedy does not come from the fact that this person is from a different background or is of a different race. It's funny when 
somebody makes a prejudice, like it is prejudiced towards somebody because they assume that they um, are uh, less educated or or uh, they, they, they have these uh, qualms against somebody based completely on the race and then they're made a fool of. The joke is that they're a fool for making that assumption. Yes. When you make the joke repeatedly over and over and over again that other races are weird, right? That makes you a racist. Yeah, and I would, I mean, you know, uh, um, it's like I don't want to, I don't want to assume things because I don't want to get slammed with libel, but I, I would wager, given given the person we're working with here, um, that could be very well be the case. Um, and I don't know, like, the, I don't know. Also, either. I would say that the 90s are a weird time. There was a lot of stuff that was acceptable in the 90s and even early 2000s that are not today. And so I, 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 yes. I, I acknowledge the fact that this is sort of hindsight. We're looking back at a movie that, like you said, was a huge hit in the late 90s that Massive. I think if released today would probably be met with hellfire from the, the amount of people that are watching it and being like, this is not okay to make like these to make jokes out of this and then run that for two hours as if it's an acceptable thing to do. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, shooting fish in a barrel is sort of an easy target for us to attack the movie like this in hindsight. So I don't want to necessarily say that that's like the biggest main problem with the movie. I think it's yeah. a huge problem with the movie. I would almost honestly say that the movie itself relies heavily on Jackie Chan and his talents. And, and of course, I think we talked about it off mic that uh, the, the scenes with uh, Jackie Chan doing his fight choreography and, and, and whatnot is like what you would expect from other Jackie Chan movies. I'm not going to say like it's necessarily Rumble in the Bronx, but mm-hmm. there or are police story in the movie, or, or like police that. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like nothing that are to that level or even Mr. Nice Guy. Um, which I champion, even though I know it's not a great movie. Uh, it has some great scenes. But yes. this movie, I don't think has any scenes that get to that level. I mean, there's some great stunts and stuff from Jackie and his fight choreography is great. I'm sure that he was probably allowed to direct those scenes just because of the way that they look and flow are very familiar like that. And it's everything that's in between is kind of sloppy. Yeah, there, there's is. really no intrigue. There's really no uh, thing carrying you from scene to scene. They reveal the villain very early on. So there's really not much of a mystery as to like who we're rooting for or intrigue or anything. And there's not much for uh, um, either uh, Chris Tucker or Jackie Chan as detectives who detect. Yeah, that's a valid point. And and so I just want to, I want to reiterate what you're saying of like, yes, it's a massive problem. The movie of sort of like how, you know, it's perceived with the, race and all that setup but i guarantee like i guarantee they're you know in the 90s i guarantee we could find each five or more comedies that we really revere that we're like oh fuck that's actually really problematic you know what i mean austin like, powers I, yeah austin powers for example i still love the first austin powers all, all, all three of them even to, to varying degrees and, yeah and and, and oh, like you know speaking in direct regards to this movie i already thought of a joke from gold member that like oh god i if i have to rewatch it, it's gonna make me cringe like mm-hmm. no tomorrow um but like we can acknowledge this problematic aspects while still liking the movie i think that like you said with rush hour in addition to that 
like it's not just that it's problematic it's that it's also not particularly good at what it does in the first yeah. place like you said there's nothing really for them to detect you know who the main villain is you already know who the misdirect villain is like it's already very clear you're like oh well, tom wilkinson's behind this like that's like not yep. even like it's, it's like, <laughs> like oh no, that guy huh and then yeah. there's a scene like 10 minutes later where they're like it's that guy and they're they, they have like a like rising sting tone you're like oh it, oh that was a reveal yeah oh i i knew it was him already <laughs> you didn't need to do that sting I, yeah okay and, sure we're here and now. the the other thing too it's like i think the movie does try to its credit and it does get a little better as it goes along because the first half of the movie when it comes to um both jackie chan and chris tucker playing off each other it is those sort of like thuddingly bad like stereotypes that they're playing off of and yeah. so it's like and and it's not that they're deconstructing it it's that they they come across as being like laughed at by the audience and so it's like not only is that a problem it's also not funny like it's not done in a funny no. way uh but their chemistry together is not great um to complete no. my thought i think it gets better as it goes along like there's little touches here and there that like i feel like if the movie was more astute you'd be into it like because i think there's some decently well done scenes i mean the most famous scene where they're waiting out on a sting operation and war is playing on the stereo mm -hmm. um like that scene is good or like the first fight where they actually work together and it's like oh like okay they're coming duck and then like duck and then get someone gets punched behind that and then like the famous like i think it, i mean the famous like trailer shot of like their hands like together and then like each of them sending a kick to the like person they're working like that they're fighting against right um it's like some of that stuff's okay and then of course like when the plot mechanics that again you don't really care about and you already have predicted them but like when they kind of like grind they at least like put the stuff that doesn't work to a halt and the movie has to move quick to like you know descend disarm the bomb and all this stuff right. so it's like it does get a little better and and i will you know definitely just reiterate what you said it does feel like whether it was jackie chan himself or like his team his stunt team whatever like they clearly had a big hand in his sequences because like not only in this movie is it like sloppy but i mean you have however many other movies ratner has done where you could mm -hmm. say like he doesn't really have a huge grasp of action like you know no. like the other the at least again sorry i haven't seen the third rush hour but like the second rush hour movie x-men the last stand which is you know considered uh, rightfully so one of the worst if not the worst x-men movies in a series that has definitely had its share of lows like yeah not not a really great like handling of action and it's like it's really only in those jackie chan sequences um that it at least feels like a breath of fresh air and and it does like i'm not naive like Right. it's this is not one of those things where i'm like i don't understand why this was like such a big hit or whatever i don't i do i do understand mm -hmm. this was jackie chan's first big crossover movie uh it's within a template that is very familiar to american movie audiences um and it just and it just worked and uh yeah. and and even 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 if even if the jokes are mired in stereotypes even if it's all frustrating other than the first bad boys before this have you had like a buddy cop movie with two non-white leads so like at the very least even right. you could say the jokes are not good which they're not you could say that it's really problematic which it is but you could at least look at that and say like if this wasn't successful 
like there's other things that probably there are probably good things that came in the wake of this movie's success sure even though this movie kind of sucks so it's like there are little like there are little nuance little nuances to the success of this movie that you're like okay i can at least point to a couple things that are worth noting even though the movie itself is lame credit where credit is due you know I, I, i can see that but i I really quickly want to back up with, I I would say that I'm willing to bet money that the scenes with uh, Jackie Chan doing his high-flying action stuff were not directed by Brett Ratner. And no. I, I would completely base that off of camera movement. And specifically the scene that I'm thinking of is in the pool hall. Watch the scene in the pool hall leading up to the fight and with all of the sidebar N-word conversation and thing that happens there. As soon as the first punch is thrown, that camera is off sticks and it's moving the entire time. And specifically, there's a shot where uh, uh, Jackie's thrown over a pool table. He rolls across, slams into it on his chest and, and hits a pool ball and it rolls into the corner pocket. Camera follows the ball rolling all the way in the pocket. Brilliant sight gag like you would see off of uh, any of the other uh, Jackie Chan movies like Police Story 1 or 2. Um, mm-hmm. And he uh turns around delivers a punch and then puts his hands on the edge of the pool table and swings his entire body underneath the pool table to come out the other side of it and the camera cuts to the end of the pool table and follows the motion in a big u-shaped movement of him going down sliding under the table coming out the other side and delivering a kick you will not see any shot like that outside of a jackie chan fight scene in the movie but you will see shots like that literally any other jackie chan movie yes there's no That's, way brett ratner had a, a, a hand in that no because you watch even like the because there's like one or two car chase sequences in this movie mm-hmm. and they're super fucking clunky like oh my god like you know, I, I like what are we supposed to be looking at right now right like and so it's like you could tell there's no way there's no way he directed those sequences no. or he had help from somebody from jackie's side to do it which made sense i mean jackie chan is like a high-flying stunt guy he at that point in his career had broken several bones and been hospitalized and stuff he knew what he needed to do to get the shot and to be safe doing it Mm -hmm. and i don't fault brent ratner for that i fault him for lots of other things but if i were the director in that chair and like the biggest action star possibly ever uh, came up to me and said i know what i need to do in this scene I'll tell you where to put the camera in order to capture it. I'm going to take the guy's word for it. I'll probably yeah. let him dictate what happens on the set. But it's it's so weird that you have a tale of two movies where the stuff that works in the movie is the stuff that's directed by one of the co-stars. Yes. And the stuff that's handled by the director fucking sucks. <laughs> I don't think there's any better way to put an end on the rush hour conversation. <laughs> I don't think there's a better way. I had two other points. I almost don't want to make them at this point. Go for it. I'll just end them. I'll end them. So number one, because uh, I wrote some notes down, so I want to okay. at least acknowledge it. Because uh, uh, we, we, you know, talked about how uh, uh, Chris Tucker's only, you know, advice was to basically do Axel Foley, and it threw me off uh, because Rex Lynn, who's one of the other detect like FBI agents in the movie, looks exactly like John Ashton. In Beverly Hills Cop, his it looks like Taggart to the point where You're I was right. like, so I was like, it's wait, it was like, wait, no fucking way. And it's not the same actor, but he like same mustache, yeah. same sort of balding pattern. Like he looks exactly like him. It's 
fucking wild. And that's like, I was like, you know what? You just proved my theory right then and there with this lookalike. Um, I didn't even think about that. And the other, the other thing I want to um, shout out, like the one other thing I think is good in the movie, in addition to Jackie Chan's stunt performance, is the score um, by Lalo Shefrin, um, because we are talking about East meets West. And so I feel like the score does a better job sort of embodying that culture clash than the actual movie itself does, because it has a lot of like Asian inspired elements, uh, mm-hmm. especially like in the early scenes that do take place in Hong Kong. Whereas like, and then it has like a Harold Faltermeyer kind of synth, uh, you know, to to reminiscent of Beverly Hills Cop in like the LA portions. And then like eventually the two sort of like work in tandem together. But like, man, the composer mm-hmm. was on the ball. I wish I saw the movie that was being scored to this because uh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately not. Um yeah, so. Let's move on. Let's move on from Rush Hour. <laughs> everyone's, again, everyone's seen it. How much more is there to say other than, let's hey, rush maybe, away from Rush Hour. Yes, like, let's let's move away to a movie that I guarantee, like, no one has heard of. <laughs> Which, Which is a shame. It is a shame, to be honest. Uh, our what pick, Silent Assassins. Um, this movie, oh man, where to even start with this movie? um it's it's nuts it's weird like it's it's weird i I, and i mean i guess that goes with the what category i'll you know what i'll ask you i think i don't i don't want to i don't want to steal your thunder you you really liked this movie so i want to ask you this is the first time watch for you what did you think of silent assassins uh, yeah, I, I think when I was when you were starting up this episode, I said that I, I don't know if this genre or I guess subgenre of film is really my bag since I, I enjoyed all of them sort of on the same base plane. And of course, Rush Hour, I enjoyed the least. Um, but I, I think at the absolute high, I would consider them all all right on one level or another, um, although I'd be able to recommend both Drive uh, and uh, I'd be able to recommend Silent Assassins, but just for completely different reasons. Uh, because moving into Silent Assassins, the way that it started out, I was like, okay, I know why this is a what. I can see the low quality. I can see what this sort of <laughs> setting up here. I understand, like, there's going to be some some boxing match that happens in a box factory. I, I've seen this movie before. But I've quickly realized that i had never seen a movie like this before uh (laughs) i don't know if many people have seen a movie like this before what what a gem you were able to mine here and i'm honestly sort of impressed uh by the fact that you are aware of this movie and seemingly no one else is i thank you i really appreciate that because i think you know we love i mean people do this with good movies just as much as they do of like what movies it's like or we seek out like writers we like or like curators that we like whether that's a person whether that's a label a company whatever the case may be to find these gems of movies and so i don't want to toot my own horn too hard but this was a like nobody pointed me in the direction of this movie um I found this movie at a thrift store in the town that I used to live in, 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 in Washington. And I, it was a thrift store that usually had like, when you go look at VHSs at like a basic thrift store, like, I mean, you have your specialty video stores, but like when you go to just like a St. Vincent de Paul, which is where I found this movie, it's 
the VHS tapes are all the same. It's Jerry Maguire. It's the double tape of Titanic. Like we, we, we all know what we're going to find at that store, but I went once and somebody either donated without knowing, or maybe somebody unfortunately passed away and just had a collection, but whatever the case may be, there was just a lot of like wild schlock that had like <laughs> just appeared on the shelves. And so I was like, and they were 50 cents or a dollar somewhere in there. And so I just sort of like, I had to get a basket. I walked in, it's not like I went in there inspecting anything, but I had to go back to the front and get a basket and come back <laughs> and just add, starting adding stuff. And I saw the cover of this movie, Silent Assassins. And it's like, you know, kind of like what you said, like there, there's a little bit of like, you know what to expect. You're like, okay, this is kind of a low budget action movie. Oh, yeah. they, got the, they got the most famous people they could for the money that they had, which in this case, it's uh, Sam Jones from Flash Gordon and it's Linda Blair from The Exorcist. Um, and it's uh, it's also, uh, you know, wouldn't wouldn't be a, a dirtbag VHS era action movie if it wasn't also a misleading cover. Um, mm-hmm. The cover you see on this movie, it's both Sam Jones and Linda Blair, like both holding a gun. She's wearing, I think like Kevlar or some sort of like bulletproof vest, like ready to suit up in the action she's pretty ineffectual she's sam jones's uh, girlfriend in the movie um she's like the worrying wife role who essentially is like um you know fed up with essentially he's it, it's almost similar weirdly he's supposed so, to be retired yeah. yes it, well not retired i mean yes so that so there's the lethal weapon comparison like which mm-hmm. definitely has that aspect uh definitely has the martog uh arc but it's also suspicious, given that this movie came out 10 years before Rush Hour, how similar the plot is. Like, it, it's almost too close to where it's not an accident. Essentially, to set it up for people, Sam Jones, uh, who, who plays Sam Kettle, maybe he couldn't remember a character's name, so they named <laughs> it his, his first name. I don't know. Um, but he's a detective, and they've been trying to take down this criminal like this ex-cia turned like he's like a criminal mastermind kendrick Mm -hmm. is the guy and um so it's like a sting operation uh he loses three of his men it's botched it has the the most amazing use of a uh fake baby since american sniper or i guess preluding to american sniper yeah (laughs) i almost don't want to give things away like that i think people should watch this movie but uh it gets botched so he is he's gonna they're gonna move he's gonna move departments um but not before uh he's approached so kendrick has kidnapped a scientist a biochemist biochemist Um, it's a biochemist and he holds the secret to creating a super weapon so he wants to utilize that information um, but so Kendrick and his men capture him at like a, at a hotel, I believe it's a hotel, I think. Um, yeah. And on that same elevator is a is a family, a complete innocent bystander family. And they all but the daughter just get wasted, just get wrecked. Yes, it's at, brutal. It's really brutal. Do, the, the amount of lost limbs in this movie is like gratuitous almost eat your heart out star wars there's so many yeah so many arms so many heads like just just people getting decapitated and limbs lost left and right so this girl 
uh, who has no affiliation, they just happen to be the wrong place at the wrong time, is also kidnapped along with this biochemist. And so a, a detective also from Hong Kong, uh, played by Jun Chong, uh, plays Jun Kim. Again, I, the first name, I don't know whether they named the characters the first name. He, uh, he arrives and basically is it's the it's his niece right it's mm-hmm. it's yes so her 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 father was in that accident in the elevator and he killed got and so yeah. so he's seeking revenge he wants revenge for that sam wants revenge for his fallen officers the two of them work together there's even a scene that's almost reminiscent of the like the scene in rush hour where chris tucker and jackie chan first meet like they're on like a beach like he he hides uh june like hides in the bed of his car and like they have like a tussle and it's the rhythms of this movie also in addition to the weird carnage are also kind of what make it special Mm -hmm. like i don't want to give too much away but like right after this scene um like Linda Blair, her character's name Sarah, uh, Sam's girlfriend, is like pissed off because he's still on this job. And so they're like not talking. So they 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 frame the scene like a comedy beat where like he where like Sam brings June home and like clearly Sarah and Sam aren't talking and sits June in the middle of the two of them makes him be like the sort of like telephone game where Sam's like, well, tell Sarah that like this, yeah. this and that. And then Sarah's like, well, tell Sam that I said this. Meanwhile, they gave him a snack, which is like a hot dog without a bun. <laughs> it's like, is it's either peanut butter or cheese. It's something that I can't like, tell. What it is. This was a VHS rip, so the yes. quality is not super high, but it's so strange. Well, and and I mean, I just want to mention, so like I know movie, I went so long, I'm sorry. No, 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 you're good. Uh, uh the the movie uh opposite to drive, there are long portions of this movie where we are spending time with the characters to get to know them before we get to some uh portion of action, which there's plenty of action in the movie. But it's not paced as frenetic as yes. uh, as Drive is, and so, however, I think it sort of works to this movie's advantage because this movie is not good. It's not no. like a traditionally good movie, but because of some of these long scenes of these uh, uh, characters like waxing poetic or trying to get very heady with a lot of concepts that they just yes. did not have the talent to write about adds to sort of the charm of the movie like watching these people sort of like philosophize or if i'm butchering that word uh but it just doesn't work which adds a a level of unintended comedy to it and then cutting from these these scenes of the characters uh which they do have a good chemistry it's just what they're talking about doesn't quite mesh well or match reality and then you cut from that scene to limbs getting hewn off with fucking axes and samurai swords and you're like i there's no there's no tone there's no pace i don't know what like how i'm supposed to try to keep up with this movie and eventually if you just lose yourself in it that's sort of like the best way to enjoy the movie it's just to sort of just roll with it just let it take you like a raging river exactly that's all you can do i mean it's worth noting noting um and, and granted i haven't seen a lot of his movies this is the only movie of his i've seen but the director of this movie 
uh lee do young he's got about 60 directorial credits to his Ooh. name uh i think most notably the the uh, it's it's uh, notoriously i think this movie if, if anyone is known in like i guess the for lack of a better term bad movie circles it's 1976's bruce lee fights back from the grave um it was like probably his most known movie um it's supposedly like pretty bonkers and also pretty tasteless i mean it's right there in the title um but so he's made like 60 movies and the co-director of this movie scott thomas has made three as a director (laughs) and the other two were like tv movies so like it, it almost kind of enforces the cl- like the, the culture clash is almost in the directorial style in addition to the story of the movie oh, yeah. because like here you have somebody who was doing like you know bonkers hong kong cinema on a super low budget uh and then you have like you know sort of like the melodrama or like the waxing poetic as you said and all that yeah. stuff is like kind of clunky and and bad but it also like adds to the charm of the movie especially because it's like actors you know saying it you know like mm. like sam jones linda blair or mako who makes an appearance in the movie mm. as like somebody who's like sort of helps them through their journey that scene is like really funny too where they go to like the hot spring um it's like that's really weird um and so it's, it's like in a full ha- fucking swimsuit too yeah <laughs> it's great it's so great it's like a leotard it's awesome it's so good like to the point like it was such a crummy quality i was like wait is that like a full like back tattoo but no it's just the swimsuit and it was all the better for it but like you said it's like you have those moments like that and it's like those aren't detriments to a movie like this like most movies that would be an achilles heel where you're like this is just filler this is just like people saying things because they've seen other movies like this so they know they have to have these scenes but these ones are so off but not in not in like the room sense where it's like alien but it's just like it's just like off center like it, it would be like if you were it would be like if you had your camera on your tripod and you didn't get the level bubble right like and you just right. like had it kind of like slightly shot like like it's dutched dutched yeah exactly where yeah. It's like you have that but you have that it's just in story and dialogue and i think like that's that's that kind of rare sort of like what movie where it's like it's completely functional but oh, it's yeah. just off enough um because like you said it juxtaposes and coalesces and and uh, again i think people should see it um i usually don't like to point people this way but because it literally is only on vhs if you can't find a vhs of it it is on youtube um that's how chris watched it um yep. that's actually how i watched it this time because i was in a different room but i do have the vhs of it um but like it coalesces in the most insane like 20 minutes last 20 minutes of like an action movie of this caliber like it's i i don't i don't and i do want to get into specifics because i mean like (laughs) this is another one of those things where i don't i don't necessarily want to spoil the movie because I, i think people should watch it and like you said at least for right now it's easily accessible like it's on youtube so if you have a spare uh uh 88 minutes go watch silent assassins on youtube it's a good time um but those last 20 minutes are just so fucking insane i don't know if we can leave it unsaid uh, yes yeah. 
well, we could talk about the the various amount of weapons that are used in <laughs> in creative weird ways. I mean, you already mentioned axes, and you already mentioned yes. katanas, which are used. Uh, grenades are used. Uh, rocket launcher is used. Dual wielded M16s, <laughs> yeah, which M16s were also it's um it's unclear exactly like uh what they like how like also the caliber that's used because one person gets shot with the m16 and they become hamburger like they're completely like mutilated to like nothing it's like robocop to where and and then and then he enters the room with the same n16s and then a couple people are just like uh and they just like fall over so it's like super weird unless he had like the uh, what do they call that in Call of Duty? Like the noob tube? Unless he had like oh, a, yeah. a grenade mounted launcher on it. That's what he did. I don't know. But like, it's super funny because they storm a room and it's just like everyone just, eh, it just kind of falls. But like right before that, yeah. there's like a guy in the way and he just, <laughs> he just explodes. <laughs> well, and, and uh, uh, I mean, you already said uh, Robocop. Uh, I'd be remiss to not mention that the, the uh, main bad guy in this movie just looks like a low rent Peter Weller. Yes. Um, uh, which I immediately noticed. And I had to look up on IMDb because of the quality that I was watching it on. I was like, is that fucking Peter Weller? Uh, it's <laughs> not, uh, but could be like a cousin. Uh, but I, I think the scene that you're talking about, the the uh, guy, there's a guy that goes in there like basically to steal the money from the kidnapped, uh, you know, the ransom money for the kidnapped niece. And he has a bomb strapped to his chest. Yes. And he has a detonator. And he's like, you know, anybody gets near me, I, I, uh, you know, we all go up and, uh, you know, takes the money, puts it under his arm, backs out of the room. And then our heroes are walking down the hall. So they get into a short shootout and the guy shoots him. And when he does, it, basically the bomb just implodes. Like he doesn't explode, yes. like spray blood and body parts or anything around him. It's like, uh, it's like he, he was like uh, Ben Kenobi in A New Hope. He just like Jedi ghosted and his clothes crumpled to the floor on the ground. It's just like, Wait, what the fuck? <laughs> this was some reverse engineered hydrogen bomb. I don't know what, but yeah, it's so weird. The explosion was so strong. It opened up a black hole and sucked his body into it and then and then and then collapsed because it was unstable. <laughs> well, and then there's the like they do the whole like someone threw a grenade and then they like this someone goes to to burrow you know to uh, protect it yeah. and then it like doesn't go off and then they throw it and then it does go off. <laughs> <It's> like, <what laughs> <the fuck>? <laughs> <laughs> and then the uh, oh god, and then the, like the miniature work too. Like we said, a rocket oh, yeah. launcher, a rocket launcher gets involved and it's like. Brad. And it's like, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like you cut to it, like you cut to like the shot of people standing there, but then you realize you're like, oh yeah, that's good. That's getting blown up. Yeah. Oh, oh, and- I see. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and they all did. And then there's the one, this is like there's two guys hanging up on a thing. And uh like up, up, uh, it's it's almost like the it's almost like the third act of on deadly ground. Yeah, yeah. With all that expo- uh, explosions happening and and like just like o- overhead bridges. But I did you notice there's the one like they shoot it and then I think they shoot it to a second time and the one stunt man or they just had his coat or something he's just draped over the side yeah. like the whole time. Yeah, just, uh. they they establish that there's people in the shot and then they cut like I mean cut to him shooting the rocket and it'll cut back and it's just like a terrible dime store dummy that's like leaned over a railing <laughs> as the thing explodes behind him. It's like 
clearly the guy was not even in motion before the explosion went off and shit. Like, it's not cut together well at all. Yeah. But again, yeah. it's one of those things that adds charm to the movie where you're like, you guys had, like, such a dirt budget when you were putting this together. And I have to commend you with what you came up with. Because yeah. it's entertaining. It's super entertaining. Because you know all the money went to, like, Sam Jones, Linda Blair, and Mako. Like, oh, yeah. And, and whatever was left, they were just like, we'll just throw some pyrotechnics together oh yeah and it's great like it's great well and for as much of like the middle section of the movie does the portions where it'll like have 15 20 minutes of dialogue scenes dialogue scenes dialogue scenes where you know it it kind of it dragged a little bit for me lost its pace a little bit but this last 20 minutes like literally shoot out in a hallway fist fight in a bathroom with the guy who has a bladed uh like street fighter vega glove on rocket launcher blowing shit up um there's all like a fucking helicopter fight like there's all sorts of crazy shit that's happening in this last 20 minutes that like you you knew that they were you know they had these big set pieces built out they knew they could only eat up that much that much time so they had to build out these center sections so i'm sure that they brought on this second you know uh director to be like hey go shoot the shit that i'm actually not interested in shooting you go do the, like the melodramatic yeah uh, you go shoot the, the restaurant scene yeah. where it's you're, like your b cam <laughs> i will be over here blowing people up with black hole bombs that suck them into like uh, it, like it, it's so it, it's so disparate in its tone yes but at the same time they accent each other to where like it, as a cohesive whole movie it's so bonkers that it just sort of has to be seen to be believed I would agree hundred percent. It's, it's a wild, it's a ride. Um, and like we said, it's accessible. Um, so mm-hmm. go check it out. I mean, all these movies are accessible, but this one is, is this one's the gem like drive yeah. drive is the one that like people are, you know, you know, rediscovering people are talking about it. People who do curate, like we've talked about have been singing its praises. So like it's out there, watch it again rush hour you've probably seen on tbs or you saw it in the theater like everyone has seen the movie uh but this one is just one of those that like again i don't think anyone has heard of i mean it's not like not like unless you're a sam jones completist um i don't know they, they might be out there it's just sure. sam jones sam jones yeah. is the only sam jones completist but uh that and the, um the characters from ted uh like mark Wahlberg and seth <laughs> mcfarland's characters from that movie um but this movie's this movie's it's fun and it's and it's one of those two where like like i said it's got it's got the all the hallmarks it's got like misleading cover um and 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 just just weird off-kilter stuff but it's like sometimes you get those and it's like they're disappointing or they just are like kind of a dud. Maybe there's like a good 10 minutes of fun or something into it. Mm-hmm. But this one is weird and fun the entire way through. Um, and oh, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'd say I'm shocked more people don't talk about it, but I'm not because as I did my research, I'm like, is this even available on DVD? There's a region two DVD. Um, that's it. The U S it's available on VHS. So that is probably, so if you're listening to Vinegar Syndrome. Except for right now. Yeah. Which is on YouTube. Right it is on YouTube. And if anyone from Vinegar Syndrome or any of those other uh, services are listening, <laughs> you got to find this 35 millimeter print and restore it to its glory. 
Day day one buy, day one purchase. Absolutely. No question asked. No question asked. Hire us to do the commentary track. That would be, we'll do it. <laughs> um, do you have any other thoughts on these movies before we, we wrap up? No, I, I, I mean, I guess my, and I don't know why every time you ask me that on this show, I, I say no and then go into my thought, but um, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> uh, no, I have no thoughts, but my thought is, uh, I'm glad that you picked this. Like I said at the top, like it is not a, a genre that I'm super familiar with or necessarily seek out or necessarily really enjoy too much. I, I, I enjoy it to a level, but it's not like one of my favorite things. However, I'm glad that your picks were at, at one point uh, uh, very connected in you know, uh, uh, their tropes very connected in the certain story elements for sure, as we can see between Silent Assassins and uh, uh, Rush Hour, especially. But uh, the I, that's one of the things I love about the show is sort of movies that seemingly on paper should be very far from each other on the spectrum are very close together and very much playing in the same playground. But you know, because of a turn here or a switch there, they end up on one end or the either. And, and so I, I was very glad to watch these movies and especially see that the what and the good are not big tentpole, well-recognized movies that uh, uh, they're the praises are saying all the time. So I'm glad that we're able to, to bring some more visibility to them. And I hope that uh, at least one listener of this episode can step away and go watch one of these movies and, and enjoy it themselves. I couldn't say it better myself. And I, I'm glad you at least brought that up of like, we really did cover the spectrum here. It's like Rush Hour is like the A-list, you know, the, the, the blockbuster movie it was a Hollywood movie. Drive is probably like the B-level, like they didn't have a ton of money, but they had at least a good amount of money. Like they were able to get Mark mm-hmm. Cascos and Bernie Murphy. And so it's like they had that. And Silent Assassins is probably more like the D-level in terms of budget, but damn it, do they make the most of it? Oh, yes. <laughs> so, Hell yeah, they do. If one person listening goes and watch Silent Assassins, like my job here is done. I could I could yeah. retire and and be a happy person because it's it's quite a movie. Um, before we do the the typical sign out, uh, we'll tease next week. Um, I don't know if it'll be mini, but it'll be in the mini so templates. <laughs> um, as you might have might be aware, October was jam packed with but new releases. Stacked stacked and there were movies we wanted to talk about do minisodes of that we couldn't fit in or like they just didn't fit well together timing didn't work out because we had another episode we wanted to do so we're going to kind of do a fall catch-up uh there might be multiple movies on the table but i can say with absolute certainty the three we're probably going to be discussing the most are dune last night in soho and the french dispatch will be the three we'll largely be talking about and then maybe just commenting on some movies here and there that we got a chance to catch up with. Um, but in the meantime, you can find all of our episodes on our website at thegoodbadwhat.com. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Anchor.fm, Google Podcasts, and many others. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at thegoodbadwhat. And you can email us at thegoodthebadthewhat at gmail.com. If you're feeling generous and want to support the show, we have a donations tab on our website and all donations will go back into the show, whether that's to offset the cost of running movies that we discuss or upgrading our equipment. Our logo comes from Michelle Parkos and our theme music comes from Paco, whose portfolio and SoundCloud link you can find in the show notes respectively. Chris, where can more people follow you online? 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at THOCristo89, or you can find me on Letterboxd at C underscore T-H-O-M. And you can follow me on Twitter at Riley90, that's R-Y-O-L-I-E 90, or you can follow me on Letterboxd at Ryan underscore Oliver. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week for our little fall catch-up. You seem as if you like to talk. I like to let people talk who like to talk. It makes it easier to find out how full of shit they are.